So yeah, we are um, going to do something a little different this morning, and um, some of you guys are, if you're new, uh, this is, this is going to be a little different. Jeff and I are going to tag team a sermon, okay? So are you ready for this? Uh, what could possibly go wrong here this morning? We'll find out, all right? So, so strap it in. Um, so we're at a critical point in the year. So as, as Veritas, um, some of you know, we've, we've gone down to two services. A lot of our students have left town. Uh, a big chunk of our church are students, and so they've scattered um, all over Iowa, the world. And uh, so here we are, uh, kind of at the end of a school year, and that's kind of how we think calendar-wise is in school years. And it's a critical point for us as a church because we're looking back on a year and it's not just any year that we're looking back on, right? We're looking back on 2020, on 2021, what a year it's been, right? Well, the thing that we need this morning, church, is vision. As we stand at this crossroads here in May, and we look back on a year, what do we see? As we look ahead into this summer and this upcoming year, what does God want us to see? What we need this morning is vision. And a lot of times, and that's like our job, is visionary leadership. And when you think about vision, and, and when they talk about this in the corporate world, usually vision is connected with, how big are we going to grow this thing? Right? How, many, how big are the buildings going to be? How, much, how big is the seating capacity? How big? How successful? And one of the things that we believe is that vision is not how big and successful are we going to be. As Christians, vision has to do with our sight. It's what we see. And we know that Jesus sees things differently. And so vision, our job, is to see what Jesus sees and lead others to see it as well, right? And we see this all throughout the scriptures. And this morning, what we need, church, is we need a Jesus perspective, we need to look back on the last year and see what Jesus sees. There it is, Vision Sunday. And so Jeff is going to take the first half looking back and saying, this is, I think, what, what Jesus sees and how we need to see it as well. And then I'm going to take the second half on looking ahead. So Jeff, mm-hmm. as we look back, yep. um, what do you think Jesus wants us to see? Yeah, I, I do feel like um, sometimes when we think about the year that we're just coming out of, a lot of us in the room would say, can we just not talk about that anymore? Can we just put that behind us or whatever? But I actually feel like God has some really, really important lessons. And we would be remiss on a Vision Sunday to not look back and see what has God done and what does he want us to learn. To anchor that, there's this incredible text in Genesis 28. And that, that's where we're in the middle of the story of the patriarch Jacob. And here's what happens. Jacob... Um, has run afoul with his brother Esau. In fact, um, tragically, things have gotten so escalated, so heated, that his brother wants to kill him. And so conspiring with his mother, he's actually running for his life from his own brother who wants to kill him, all right? When you get to Genesis 28, he's out running for his life, out in the middle of nowhere, away from his mother, kind of a doting mother, the safety of his clan, everything, out in the wilderness. And it says this. 
He reached a certain place. I'm in uh, verse 31. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place, put it under his head, and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching to the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. And the Lord was standing there beside him. Okay, so just imagine you are afraid. His heart is still racing. He's wondering, is he going to be chased? What a perfect place to take his life out in the middle of nowhere. So there he is under the stars with nothing but a rock to put under. You know, what a nice, soft pillow, you know. It's rock. God ends up saying to him, uh, actually I'm in verse, I think, 15. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you. What I've done, and, and uh, what I've done, I will promise to you. He says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Okay, just that moment of, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm away from everything that's familiar and safe. And all of a sudden, God is showing up in that place and saying, I'm with you. He's, I didn't realize this is where I would end up meeting up with God in this terrible place. So surely the Lord is in this place. He ends up, he says, man, I, I'm going to call this place Bethel, the house of God. And he ends up uh, setting up a rock there to remember this encounter that he had. Here, here's what, the reason I wanted to anchor what I'm saying in that. Guys, I do feel like what we've come out of in this past year has some of the same elements of what Jacob is feeling. The fear that I've never been into this kind of a place before between the pandemic the racial tensions, the political scene, all of these things like the perfect storm, if, if any one of those didn't unnerve you, right, to have all three piled onto one in one year, it left the ground kind of quaking under a lot of us and feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And yet, guys, here's what I believe. God met us there. That's not where we would, we think of God meeting us in times of blessing. We think of God meeting us when all is well and we've got shalom and peace. God, I believe, actually meets us in that place where we're alone, where you're terrified, where there's uncertainty. So here's what would happen. What Jacob did in that place, he set up a rock, call it Bethel, and then this became the pattern of his life. Different encounters. In a couple chapters, he'll have this encounter with a father-in-law. And finally, what was going to erupt in war again ends up in peace. He sets up another memorial. I want to remember this moment where God stepped in and brought peace. A couple chapters later, he's about to meet up with Esau after all these years. And what he's thinking is, that's only built the steam under my brother's anger. Oh man, I am really going to forfeit my life today. God meets him there again and assures him. And angels surround him. And he calls that place Mahanaim. Two, two different camps. Oh, God is in this place. I couldn't imagine. Sets up a rock of remembrance. Here's what I believe God would have us to do, guys. I believe that God would have us remember in a very specific way what he has done for us and how he has met us in our greatest time of need. I think we have to actually hit pause and say, wait, when we thought all was darkness, when I was most afraid, when I felt like the ground itself was coming up from under me, how did God encounter me here? Well, one of the ways that we're going to do that, you guys, is um, I don't know if you have noticed out in the yard out here, that big new set of rocks, actually a really nicely stacked set of rocks. Have you noticed that? Show, show the picture of it, you guys. Have you noticed this out here? 
this is, this is going to be our rock of remembrance because just one way that God met us, you guys, when we thought, oh, nobody's meeting, everybody's, we got to meet outside. Remember that? In fact, guys, some of you are here because we started meeting outside. We had just gotten this place of worship, thought this was our Bethel, right? Our, our, our wonderful climate-controlled place of worship. No, we had to shut the doors, but God's like, oh, you're not going to stop worshiping. You're not going to stop hearing the Word of God. We're just going to move that outside. And so from about this time last year, all the way through mid-October, we met outside, and it was glorious. We, it, the sky itself became the temple of God, right, that we filled with our worship. And so we actually are having this. So in order to do this, we actually brought those stones. We flew them all the way in from Israel. These are, no, I'm just kidding. They're not in any way. They're made right here in the good old USA. But, but what I'm saying is I want this, this, this is way cooler than what I thought when we were going to put up a little berm of a stage out there, way cooler. And after it started going up, I was like, how fitting. Church, I want us to always look over at that and be like, you know what? That outdoor, that big plain of grass, that became our church. God was growing his church. Lock the doors. That's okay. God's church is still God's church, and we still were able to flourish and worship, and what a glorious thing. And I just want to say, guys, many of you, we want to say thank you. Thank you for adapting with us. Guys, we were we were trying to hit curveballs we'd never even seen before, right? We're, we're in there trying. We made mistakes along the way, but thanks for adapting and changing and modifying. And ever, Now we're going to change the service times again. Hey, next week, we're going to change the service times again. We're trying to follow the sun and trying to figure out how to keep, like, all sorts of things we were having to do. Thank you. Thank you for some of you that stepped up to serve in ways that we had never had to do before. Thank you for connection groups that learned how to adapt to all the new restrictions and everything. Thank you for, you know what, most of all, preserving the unity of this body in a bond of peace. Guys, we were stretched. There were, there were fighting lines in the sand all over the place culturally. And here we are, a unified, stronger family body of Christ. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, church, and thank you, Jesus, for taking us by the hand in the scariest moment. And all of a sudden, it was Mahanaim. All of a sudden it was Bethel. This is a time where God met us in significant ways. So here is my challenge, you guys. You've got these cards, right? Are, they, are, the, are the cards in the yeah. back of the thing, like in the pockets there? Pull that out a second. Here's what I want you to do. As you look back, okay, over this last year, I want you to actually say in your mind, but how has God specifically shown up in me, in my life. Yeah, there were a lot of difficult things in this last year, but how did God make himself known in a way that without the trial, God could never, I wouldn't have had eyes to see him. I wouldn't have had ears to hear him had it not been for the difficulties that I encountered. Here's what we're going to do. Mark's going to actually have you fill out the bottom half of this. We actually, as an elder team, want to join you in thanking God, praying to God, He's going to talk more about the bottom half, but on the top half, can you just let us know, how did God step into your life? How did you all of a sudden have eyes to see, oh man, God, you were in this place, and I didn't know it. And I don't know what your rock of remembrance is going to be. You know, 
Uh, many of you know, I've, I've talked about it enough, my sister-in-law passed away, some dear friends put together a little gift of money for a landscape place. We're going to plant a tree in remembrance of how God faithfully brought us through. And you know what I mean? There's just different ways that you guys can maybe even set up your own rock of, rock of remembrance in order to say, God, I don't ever want to forget what you taught me. I never want to forget the lessons you gave me. I don't want to look in my rear view and only see the darkness and gloom and disparity. I want to look back and say, God, thank you for stepping into my life when I most needed you. And, and I want to give you glory for that. I want, to, I want to confess that. So if you could actually write that down, we're going to be passing these back in and we're going to spend some time praying with you about those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Jacob uses this, this rock that was his pillow and turns it into a, a little monument. So Jesus turns rocks into altars. As you look back on this last year, what do you see uh, in your life in God's faithfulness? And I think that that is a great word for us. And as we look ahead, here's what I want us to be thinking about. As we look into the future, here's what I think Jesus wants us to see. And I, I want to go back to um, something that uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, Jake each preached on this when we were going through this. Um, if you want to hear like a sermon version of what I'm about to say, you can go back and listen to Jake's sermon on 1 Corinthians 9. But listen to this. Uh, in, in verse 16, Paul says, I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's saying, I am constrained. I'm compelled. It's like somebody is pushing me to constantly share the good news about Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 19. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. This is a beautiful passage because Paul is saying here, this gospel about Jesus is the only thing that's going to matter forever. And he's saying, my one motivation, my one motivation, that I, I filter everything I do in my life through this motivation, it's how can I help as many people as possible encounter the good news about Jesus Christ? In Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That when we share this message about Jesus, there's power in it. And it's the power to convert people's hearts, change souls. And he says, all things, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. 
And he talks about, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. And he does this thing on the law, like I'm, I'm going to put myself under the law. Here's the thing. What we learn in Corinthians is there were a ton of controversial issues in their day, just like there is our day. And these, these issues were tearing apart the church, dividing the church. People were in different camps. And Paul's saying, hey, what good is it if you win the argument about meat sacrificed to idols, and yet the person is still lost? You lose the person. You win the argument, but you lose the person. What good would that be? And he says, I'm going to set aside my opinions on these hot topics so that I can make Jesus the issue, right? And so this is what I think Jesus wants us to see as we look into this next year, church. A Jesus perspective wins people, not arguments, A Jesus perspective wins people, not arguments. This is what we want to be about. There are going to be more, the issues are going to just become more controversial, more divisive. Some of you are like, how is that possible? It's going to happen, right? It's going to tear people apart. It's going to try to tear us apart. But here's what we want to be about as a church is we want to turn those cultural arguments into opportunities for gospel conversations. Here's how you do that. Personally, here's how I think we can do that, is get good at listening, just asking questions and listening. So here's an example uh, from from my life. And, And this is hard because all of us as Christians, we definitely have opinions, right? And that's okay. I'm not saying don't have opinions on these things. But what I'm saying is, when you're talking to someone that doesn't know Jesus, try to make Jesus Christ the issue. Like, when you see this person that doesn't know Jesus, look at them as a person who needs Jesus and not just a bunch of arguments that need to be refuted. So the way this happened uh, for me is, uh, uh, recently, last week, a neighbor asked for some help with something, right? Hey, can you help me with this? And so I ran over there and, and this, this thing that he asked me to do kind of took longer, right? So we're there for an hour or two uh, working on this project together. And, and, you know, as things come up, we start talking about things going on in the world. And he's sharing his opinions on everything, right? And at this point, the temptation is to get in all these uh, rabbit holes and, and, you know, talking about all these things. And he's going on just about his opinions on these things. So I just was asking him more questions. Wow, that's interesting. Like, what do you think about this and this? And he was talking and talking. And at the end, I asked him a question. I said, you know, with all of these opinions that you have, like, what's, what's the basis of all these views for you? Like, what's your worldview? And he he thought about it for a second, and he's like, what's a worldview? Do you know what a worldview is? This is a great question to ask someone. What's your worldview? Well, your worldview, it's how you view the world. It's, 
It's the ground that you stand on to answer life's most important questions, like, how did we get here in the first place? What went wrong with this world? We can all, nobody has to be convinced that the world's broken, right? And how do we fix it? So I said, a worldview is just answers those three questions. How did we get here? What went wrong? And how do we fix it? And he said, you know what? I have thought about those questions so much. And I don't know how to answer them. And I said, well, what what do you think about how we got here? He goes, well, you know, there's evolution and stuff, but where did those first things come from? I don't know. And I was like, well, what do you think went wrong with the world? What's, what's wrong with the world? He said, well, the problem in the world, I think, is all the political leaders. You know, he's like, the leaders in North Korea? And went from North Korea to right to our Senate. And he's like, well, the problem is in our government is there's no term limits for the senators. You know, we, he started going on about these things and I was like, wow, that's, that's fascinating. I was like, so what do you think? How are we going to fix it? And he's like, well, I don't know. I mean, if we could just get the right leaders, then I think we could fix it. If we could just get everyone to agree on all these things, basically, if we could just get everyone to agree with the stuff that I'm saying, <laughs> then the world would pretty much be fixed. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And there's a moment of silence, and he's like, well, what do you think? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I said, well, um, you know, that's interesting because uh, I'm a Christian. And, uh, and he knows I'm a Christian. He knows I'm a pastor. We've been neighbors for a number of years now, and I said, you know how Christians answer that first question is that it's all in the first three chapters of our book, you know, and in the Bible it says that the three things you need to know about how we got here is God created us. God created us in his image, our personalities, our ability to love and our desire for justice, that, that all reflects God. And the third thing about us is that God created us male and female in his image. And everything that I believe flows out of that. And we believe that what went wrong is is our sin entered the world. So actually, that perfect system that you want, any system that you create that I'm a part of is not a perfect system because I'm actually the problem in your system. And I said, it'd be like if, you know, we have a bunch of fruit trees in our backyard. I said, if you... If you went to our backyard and you noticed that one of our trees was dying, like the, the, the leaves were turning brown and the branches were brittle and it was dying. And you came over and you said, Mark, I want to fix your tree. And so you go to the grocery store and you buy a bunch of apples and then duct tape and you duct tape all these apples to my apple tree and, and you say, Mark, come out. I fixed your tree. Have you fixed our tree? No. And I said, you know what? That's like the world. Political solutions is like taping apples to a tree. The problem is in here. It's the heart. And how we fix it is we don't fix it. Only God could do that. And he did it through Jesus. And we talked about, you know, and as as we talked, I said, man, you know what's so fun about this conversation is 
If we just had been people in a chat room, we would have been enemies. But because we're face-to-face, I can hear you out and understand your perspective on the world, and you can understand me. And we just talked about, it's not that we ended with agreeing on everything, but we just listened to each other. And taking it away from the issues to the heart. I think Jesus wants us to be people who try to win people, not arguments. I just want us to dream for a second. I want you to dream. I want us to dream. Let's dream about all those people that God has put into our lives. Our neighbors, our friends, our family members. Maybe it's parents, maybe it's children that don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's your professor or your teachers. Just dream for a moment. Dream about who do you want to see this next year get baptized? Maybe you are going to be in that baptistry, that big tub up on stage dunking someone. Who is that person? You say, Mark, that's impossible. I know. It's always impossible for a heart of stone to become a heart of flesh, for somebody that's lost to be found, for someone to be saved. It's always a miracle when it happens. And the power is not in your persuasiveness and words. The power is in the message. It's in the gospel. It's in the good news that brings salvation. Who is the person in your life or the people in your life that you want to see come to know Jesus? Paul ends and he says in this section, verse 24, he says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do you see this here? In verse 25, where he says, everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. He says, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. We know how much professional athletes, Olympians, how they discipline their bodies. They sacrifice. And why do they do it? They do it for a moment of glory. They do it for a crown. They do it for a championship. And all of those things are perishable, will soon be forgotten. But Paul says, we do the same thing as Christians. We act like professional athletes when it comes to our faith and our discipline for wanting to help people come to know Jesus. Why do we do this? We do it for an imperishable crown. This, what he's saying is, this gospel priority This Jesus perspective requires sacrifice, but results in salvation. Church, 
Veritas specifically, as I look out on you guys, what I want to say, church, is this is our church's focus. This, you want to know what we're about as a church? This is what we're about. We want to make disciples. We want to plant churches. We want to make a ton of noise for Jesus. We want it to be very difficult for someone in Johnson County to go to hell, right, and beyond. Because we are so passionate about helping people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. When I think about our story, one of the barriers, you know, Veritas has only been a church 10 years, right? And uh, it was actually 11 years ago in this very month in May of 2010 that, that we showed up, a little group of people rolled in to this area. And one of the barriers for eight years, uh, we wandered around in hotels and schools and bars and we had no building. And our first Veritas Kids ministry was like a tote with some toys in it. And we opened the tote and I told our uh, children's workers, volunteers, I said, guys, here's the vision for Veritas Kids. Keep these children alive while their parents are in the service, right? They just had a little room and a little tote and a, a bunch of kids, right? And uh, a few kids. And that was a vision. And, and in 2014, we, just, we decided we have to dial this in. We got to sacrifice because we think that having a building will facilitate the mission of making disciples. Where Paul says, we do everything for the sake of the gospel for you, that might be buying a grill, right? Your best evangelistic tool might be your grill, right? To have neighbors over and to build relationships and invite people into your home by serving them or whatever. But we thought collectively as a church, we thought a building would facilitate us accomplishing this mission. So in 2014, we took our first ever one-time offering. And then we, we, we did it again in 2015. And then we did it again in 2016. And we still didn't have a building. And so we said, you know what? We're going to do it again in 2017. And I remember in October of 2017, I was, I was speaking on a, a retreat up in Minneapolis at Drew Stevenson at Salt City Church up there. I was doing their college retreat, their first ever fall retreat. And uh, I remember being on the phone with Dale Mulliken, one of our elders, and we had this $8 million project, and we were struggling to make our budget, and we didn't have all the money we needed, and yet they were already moving dirt and getting this land ready, and I said, Dale, I don't know if we can do it. He said, Mark. We are doing it. It's too late. And he said, and I'm in. And I will join you in doing whatever it takes to make this thing happen. Because this is the vision that God has given us to help more people come to know Jesus. And so many of you that I'm looking out at, you joined us. Well, how did it turn out for us? Church, a couple weeks ago, there were more kids in Veritas Kids than we have ever seen. 
like before the pandemic, everything, we had more kids a couple weeks ago and the last few weeks that we've ever had in our church. If you guys were to come on Wednesday night, you would see that foyer packed with middle school and high school students. Church, there are families coming to know Jesus because their kids are coming to youth group. We've got families that are being drawn to Christ. And so I ask, for those of you that did sacrifice for all those years, was it worth it? Do you have any regrets? Paul is saying, when you're living your life for Jesus Christ, there's never regrets because you're doing it for an imperishable crown. You're doing it for something that will last forever. Here's what I want to say, church, as we look ahead and we think about this 1 Corinthians 9 and running this race that Jesus has for us, there are so many new people in this church. I'm looking out at some people. This may be your first week. I know for sure some of you, it's like your second or third week just meeting you and talking to you. And here's what I want to say to you. Run with us into this next year. What might Jesus do if we together run with all of our heart, soul, strength after Jesus Christ and doing whatever it takes to help people come to know him? You guys, our elder team feels like this next year, we are taking a huge step of faith with our budget. And that we know with all the people that requires more staff because we care about discipleship. We want to help people. More people come to know Jesus. There's more staff. More, our SALT staff is growing with residents, right? The Veritas School of Theology, as people come and are trained and sent out, we have a passion to reach the nations. So there's more money going to the church planning team in Bangkok, Thailand, in Taiwan, the ministry in Zambia. There's teams going to Zambia. The We've also want to be more aggressive in paying down the debt that we have on this building, about three and a half million dollars, because we're excited about the future and we want to be ready as God continues to grow our church. Like, what does he want to do? We want to be ready for that. The regional ministries with Faith Academy, church planning, what does Jesus have for us in the future in planting churches? We want to be ready. My exhortation to you, my call to you, Veritas Church, is we are going to run after Jesus with all of our hearts. We are willing to sacrifice, do whatever it takes to win as many people as possible. And the challenge to you this morning is to run with us. And I think another byproduct of this Jesus perspective is that as we sacrifice, it's going to mean salvation, but it's also going to mean unity for us because we're not going to have a whole lot of time to be arguing about disputable matters when we're trying to help people come to know Jesus. And so the last action step for you on that card um, is to write down the name or names of someone that you want to see come to know Jesus. You might want to write just the most impossible person in your life, uh, you want to write someone that, and this is the thing, 
we want to join you in prayer. I think the first step toward leaning into this kind of way of living is to start praying. And we want to pray with you. And we want to ask Jesus to do miracles. We want to see a lot of people one to Jesus. Jeff, as we think about um, going into this time of communion, I think this is a great way to land our Mm -hmm. time. As we look back, look ahead. Yeah, and I want to say, too, with your your card, you don't have to hand that in to us. Uh, If you're not comfortable sharing that, just keep it in your Bible. But if you are, maybe snap a picture of it on your phone, and then you can hand it in um, at the buckets around the, the communion tables. Yeah, it's, it's such a privilege to pray with you guys as an elder team, and that's, that's our goal. I can't wait for all summer. That's going to be our commitment, is to take every single card and pray over every one of you that wants us to join with you, because we believe it's, it's God, God at work, both in looking back and looking forward to what, what he's going to do. But guys, you know, this... this uh, uh, image that we have up here is exactly what we're going to be doing as we celebrate communion. We look back, and I, I love that phrase, a Jesus perspective turns rocks into altars. Well, a Jesus perspective also turns a means of a torturous death, like a cross, into a symbol of life, eternal life, right? When death was arrested, but my life began, right? That's, that's the paradox of what Jesus does. So as we go to a time of communion, you guys, um, what we do, especially for those of you who are newer to the Veritas family, we've got these stations up here and along the back wall as well, several, many of them for you to go to. What I would love for you to do this time is actually consider and pray, God, what did you do as I look back over this last year? God, I have maybe even not even to this moment given you thanks for something you did remarkably, and I'm going to do that now. And then look forward, Jesus, you've encountered my life. How do you want to use me in welcoming more people to the table? That more people will be actually taking communion alongside me because you're going to do a miracle through me. After you're kind of prayerfully thinking that through and and going to Jesus with that, we're going to be worshiping. In fact, the worship team can come up and join us even now. As we're worshiping and you sense that it's time for you to take communion, just join, go to one of the tables and begin to take communion. And as you do, here's what Jesus says. Why do we do this? I take this bread in remembrance of me until I come again. It's this beautiful thing that we're doing in, in the whole theme of the morning. We're going to remember what Jesus has done, waiting with expectation for him to come back for us, Okay. Let's do this. Will you pray with me? And then we're going to begin to worship. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Yeah, God, who would have imagined that something as dark and foreboding as your death on a cross would mean eternal life? For those of us born a hemisphere away, a couple centuries later, and here we are, life. Those kind of miracles, Lord, we want to see them done over and over and over. You turned my heart from stone into flesh. You can do that again. 
bringing life out of death. We celebrate you, Lord. Hear us as we worship you, as we remember, as we pray forward. Jesus, you're at the center of all of this. Hear us as we sing. Hear us as we worship. And we commemorate you remembering what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray.